Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome all of you to service today. We're so glad to have you. This is the fourth sermon in a series called The Point. Don't miss it. And all of you at some time or another have heard this question in the car. You have heard, are we there yet? Right? I am, you know, I knew that that was a thing. And I'm sure I said that to my parents. But now I'm really living it right now. I'm feeling it. And I am in awe, like truly in awe, at how quickly we can start driving and our kids will ask that question. That we will get in the car like, Mom, Dad, how far is this drive? Probably about two and a half hours. Okay. We will like turn on 1991 and be like, Mom, Dad, how close are we? I'm like, we have been driving for literally two and a half minutes. <laughs> we are, you know, two hours and 27 minutes away. Okay. But they always love to ask it. Kids never cease to amaze me. And what I've noticed, though, is that is something that we never grow out of. We never get too old to ask the question, are we there yet? But we don't ask it quite like that. This is how we say it. We say, man, this is how middle school students say. They say, I cannot wait till I'm in high school. And that's how high school students, they say, I cannot wait till I'm out of high school. And it's how college students say, I cannot wait till I'm in the real world. And then they say, I cannot wait till I'm married. I can't wait till I have kids. And you say, I can't wait till my kids don't use diapers anymore. And it's, I can't wait till my kids are old enough to take care of themselves. And then it's, I can't wait till the kids are out of the house. Uh, not, not necessarily. Usually there's some, there's some, I don't want them to leave. But sometimes there's some, I can't wait to be this. And I can't wait to retire. And before you know it, we have spent our whole life going, I can't wait till we arrive there. We can't wait until, are we there yet? Right? We spend our life doing that. Let's talk about one of the most famous passages in Scripture, and I'll get to the point that we sometimes can miss. But it's one of the most fascinating Scriptures, truly fascinating, and we're going to read it, and then I'm going to tell you why I think it's so compelling. You maybe have heard this passage before. It's maybe the first time you've heard it. But early in Genesis, we get this story. Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from from Haran. So the reason why this passage is fascinating is because there is no sign anywhere in Scripture of why God picked Abram. There is no story, the chapter before, that says, and Abram was a really great guy. You know, we, we see that in some passages. It, you know, with Noah, it says, and Noah feared the Lord. Okay, that's why Noah gets the ark. Or it says, and this and this, or Job was a good man. We get all these signs. We don't get anything like that with Abraham. And it makes me almost wonder, were there other people that God called, he came to, and he said, hey, I'm going to bless you. I I want you to go. And they're like, no, I don't really want to go. Just like with Moses, how many people did God send a burning bush to that Moses is the only one that turned aside and saw the burning bush? It just makes me wonder, why Abraham, or why Abram, eventually later Abraham? And God, he gives him, doesn't give him any 
analysis of the situation. He doesn't say, hey, Abram, um, so here's how it's going to go. Here's the plan. You're going to start traveling. You're going to go this way and then this way, and then you're going to arrive here, and then you're going to spend some time here, and then you're going to spend some time here. None of that. All he says is, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, from your people, and your father's household. Uh, something that's very unheard of in this time period. And he doesn't say to a specific place. He says, to the land I will show you. Abram has no idea what the game plan is. But he gets one instruction from God. And really, the one instruction is more than just go. It's, it's almost more like a question. It's more like, Abram, I'm a, I want to bless you. Do you trust me? That if you follow me, I'm going to bless you and bless those who bless you and be a blessing to the world through you. Do you trust me? And I think you can imagine Abram could have responded and said, God, you know, do you mind me asking like where we're going? And all he gets is to the land I will show you, right? So let's just take a moment to ponder how difficult this would be for us. For me personally, Drew Ritchie personally, I do not do anything without really assessing it. I mean, I'm going to... Catherine, that used to bother her a lot early in our marriage where, you know, we needed to buy who was going to be our internet provider, right? And so we go online and I'm calling my dad. I'm calling this person. I'm calling like 20 people. And Catherine's like, can't you just like sit with me and us like talk about it and just pick one? Like you've got to ask all these people their opinion about their, your internet provider. I do. Because I really need to know before I commit to this. I really need to know what I'm getting into. And here we've got this... Do you have any questions about how the journey is going to go? Do we have any questions about how it's going to go? Nope. There's none of that. It's just that he went. And sometime later, there's going to be people that are going to talk about Abraham and Abram. Even though Abraham did some really dumb things later. Even though he made some really knuckleheaded mistakes. It never says later in the Bible, and because Abraham was such a good guy, God loved him. But what it says is, because Abraham had faith. He had trust to say, okay, I'll go. It was accredited to him as righteousness. Now, sometime later, we are going to meet God in the form of his son, Jesus. And he is going to go around and he's going to ask some people the same question. He's going to say, I want you to go. Or he's going to say, do you trust me to come with me? The way he says it in Mark chapter 1 is he says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me. And then he told them about what their health benefits would be and about their 401k plan options and about their... Nope. He said, come, follow me. And he said, I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. They talked about it. They asked him, so what exactly is the game plan, Jesus? Nope. They were given this option. Hey, I want you to come. I want you to follow me. And... They could have asked, are we there yet, Jesus? Have we gotten to where you want us to go? Have we? Nope. It was just about this journey. And I want you to leave your current life, leave your, as for Abraham, it was your country, your people, and your father's household. Here it's leave everything you've known, your business that you probably grew up knowing, like, well, when I grow up, I'm going to be a fisherman like dad was. I want you to leave all that. I want you to think how hard that would be for us, for all of us, if you had planned on living in and living this certain life, your whole life. Well, I know I'm going to be a banker. You know, the, the Hunt family bank. And I've been groomed my whole life to be the next chapter of that. And all of a sudden, nope, I don't want you to be doing that. I want you to go. You could, you could imagine this being like, no, God, I, I, this is exactly what you had in store for me. And not knowing what it means to do that. 
And so I have, for obvious reasons, been very absorbed with the idea of journeying and transitioning. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that all of our life as a disciple is one long journey. One series of transitions after another. And typically, we want to make it all about a destination. So my final sermon is this question. Do we really miss the point when we make our walk with Jesus, our faith, our Christianity, more about a destination than about the journey? So let me give you three examples. I'm going to try and do these somewhat on pace. The first one is, the first way that we make it about destination is a phrase that we often say. We want people to make a decision to follow Christ. How many of you are familiar with that term? Making a decision for Christ. Uh, I used to take the teens at Katy to uh, Palacious, Texas Baptist Encampment Retreat Center. When we used to go as high schoolers, it was not great. Uh, And now when I took the kids, I remember all the upgrades. I thought it was so good. By the way, the food, still not great. Um, But this place is a place where you go and afterwards they would send you a link. Please fill out a survey. How was the cleanliness of your cabins? How was the food? Oh, y'all were really sweet. You know, bless y'all. You know, no, I'm just kidding. But one of the questions at the very end was always, how many decisions for Christ did you have? You, you know what they're saying. How many of your kids on your trip or how many of your people said, I have decided I'm going to follow Jesus. All right? Now, that's not as much language that we use here in the Church of Christ, but you've heard that terminology. And part of what, the, uh, what you're imagining is, is... Many of us are thinking about, when we're saying that, is have you arrived at the choice that you think Jesus is God? And you're probably sitting here going, that sounds like a great place to arrive at. But when you do that, we treat Jesus and discipleship like buying a car. When you are deciding what car you want, you're going to look at all the models. I'm going to try this one out. I'm going to drive this one. I'm going to consider the pros and cons of this car and this model and this kind of warranty. How many miles do we want to have on it? We look at all of them and then we go, okay, I'm landing. I'm picking this car. And now it's your car. It's done. And we do the same thing with Jesus where we go, we want you to make a decision to give your life to Christ, but we make it mostly about, all right, did you pick? Did you think about it? Did you learn all the ins and outs of of it? Did you learn the little rules and things? Okay, you did? Great. You've decided to be a Christian, and now we're good. And then we move on. We dunk them, and then we're like, great, we got them. When for Jesus, that is, it's not, he never comes up to any of the people and says, hey, disciples, I would like you to tell me who I am. Have you made a decision about me? It doesn't say that in Mark 1. And then he went to Simon and Andrew and he said, Who do you think that I am? He doesn't say, Do you think that it's okay for a kitchen to be attached to the sanctuary? He doesn't say any of that stuff. He says, Follow me. That's what he tells them. One of them is focusing on arriving at a place and one of them is about signing up for a journey. Whenever you say, I'm going to sign up just to follow this guy. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to be the one that is pursuing him. Now let me give you another example of how we make it about a destination and less about a journey. One of the most popular questions that anyone has ever asked, and I hear all the time, is what is God's will for my life? I want to know what God's will for my life is. Because we're almost always focusing on something tangible. I want to know what is it that God wants me to do as my profession. I want to know where is it that God wants me to live. I want to know who is it that God wants me to marry. All those are great questions. But I've said it before and I'll say it again. I am convinced that God's will, saying I want to do God's will, is far less about where you are 
than about who you are. Someone who is being transformed into the likeness of Christ is someone who is becoming the person who is able to do God's will in any of the circumstances. I want to know what God's will for my life is. Well, I can tell you. Colton, God's will for your life is for you to be Colton Sullins in the image of Christ that he made you to be. And wherever you go, you're doing God's will. But we always make it about, well, does that mean I should be an electrician or a diesel mechanic? God doesn't care. He wants you to be you wherever you are. It's more about who you are than where you are. And how do you become who he wants you to be? Along the journey of following him. Now this third one is where I'm really going to lose you, okay? So just go ahead and write in your notes, I don't agree with Drew, okay? But I want you to consider this for a second. Just consider it. I've said this quote before. Eugene Peterson, I believe, is the author of this quote. But he says, when I read the Bible, when I read about Jesus and Paul, it appears that they are far more interested in getting heaven into you than about getting you into heaven. Okay? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we often make this whole thing, the reason we come and sit in here once a week, the reason why we read our Bibles, the reason why we do all that we do, so that we can arrive at the destination of heaven and not at the destination of the the hot place. Okay? We make it all about arriving at that destination. And frankly, I, I think that that's not too bad to want to arrive at the destination of heaven. I get that. But the impression that I get from Jesus in Scripture is that he's less focused on trying to get you into heaven and he's more trying to get you to become a citizen of heaven in the present. He's trying through the Holy Spirit to transform you, to equip you, to become someone that is living in the present like you're going to be living when you're abiding with him eternally. Now let me read this slowly. You ready? If we can grasp that... If we can grasp the idea of God wanting me to become a citizen of heaven in the present, then we are already living the life of the kingdom of the heavens now. Not once we get there. When will we get there? Well, guess what? According to what I read from Scripture, when you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you've got the fruit of the Spirit flowing from your life, you are living in the already kingdom that God has broken through in Jesus' death and resurrection. And when you get to heaven, it's going to fit like a glove. Okay? Now let me use this analogy to try and bring home this point. I want you to imagine someone, picture someone for a minute. Not someone you know, but just this is a made-up man. I want you to imagine a person who grew up going to church. They gave their life to Christ in baptism when they were 18 years old. And then for the rest of their life, they had this business where they constantly took advantage of people. Like Scrooge before he met the ghosts of past, present, and future. Okay? He hated people that didn't look like him and didn't think like them, whether, like him, whether it was because of their race or whether because of their economic class. He just couldn't stand anybody that didn't look like him and think like him. And as he got older, they find so much satisfaction. I, I kept trying to think of like examples, but I'm just going to say, just kept finding all sorts of pleasure and enjoyment from all these shameful, sinful hobbies and habits. Okay? Here's my question. If the destination is heaven, instead of the journey being the point, is that person becoming someone who is going to enjoy heaven someday? It's not going to be very fun for them, because that's not what they're wanting to become. Okay? Uh, I heard one preacher use, describe it this way. I'm going to say it. He's from, this is a preacher from the north. 
lives in a, uh, a rural area, and he can't stand golf. And he says, everybody I know wants to retire and move to Florida and play golf, where it's hot and humid and sands everywhere. And he's like, for me, that sounds awful, because I'm becoming a someone who loves the mountains and who loves the cold weather and who enjoys hiking and not golfing. So are you becoming someone that loves the resort that you're trying to end up at? Or are you becoming someone that loves a different location? Does that make sense? And so let me, let's imagine a second person. Imagine someone who is introduced to Christ and surrenders their life to him, them. She spends the rest of her life trying to surround herself with people who are pursuing Christ. She tries to serve and care for and show kindness to every person they meet. She is always trying to become more patient, less angry, less anxious, more trusting, more forgiving. If the destination is heaven, is that person becoming someone who's going to enjoy it when they get there? All right? You following the illustration? The journey that Jesus is inviting on is to start becoming the person that you will be for eternity. As Dallas Willard likes to say, you are becoming who you will be for all time. Eternity is now in session. Okay? That's the question that a journey mindset understands. But if it's all about the destination, then this is all just humdrum. Let's just grin and bear it until we get to the place where we're supposed to arrive. When are we going to get there? My call is for you to make your faith more about the journey than about the destination. Or to put it another way, if you focus on the journey of transformation, the destination is going to take care of itself. A person living the journey with Jesus is already at the destination because it's all about being with Him and becoming like Him. So let's read this quote from Paul in Ephesians 5, 16 through 18, and verse 25. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do what you want, but you are led, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The word image there is walking. He doesn't say, so let us arrive at this location. Let us, nope, he's saying, let us walk in step with God and Jesus and the Spirit. I've used this illustration before, but it's too good not to repeat it. Tim Keller once talked about how often when we ask God's will, we say, God, I want a game plan. I want the map. I want to know where I am and where you want me to go and where all the turns are. And that involves zero trusting God. All it involves is getting the map. But if faith is a journey about going, God, I don't know where we're going. And he's saying, well, I'll be walking with you. Trust me. If faith is about Abraham going, God, you know, where are we headed? How long is it going to take to get there? How long before you're going to give me all these children you've promised me? God doesn't respond and go, in 42 years and 37 days and 10 minutes, and after you go here and then here and here. Nope, he just says, I'm going to show you the land where I'm going to take you. Trust in me. And Tim Keller's illustration is what we want is we want our phone on the dash where we put in the address, push start, and it takes us there. And we know, like, oh, I see how far I am. The next turn's in a mile and a half. We want all that. And yet, signing up for a relationship with Jesus is saying, Jesus, I want you to just be right beside me. And I'm going to walk with you. And when I turn and go, how much longer this direction? Well, just keep in step with me. 
When am I supposed to turn, Jesus? Well, just keep in step with me. When are we going to get there, Jesus? Keep in step with me. And guess what? Over time, I have a feeling we'll realize that being right next to Jesus means that we're already where we want to be, whether we're walking or not, because we're with Him. We want to be beside Him. So the next time you find yourself, or I find myself, wondering what the game plan is, wondering when I will arrive, I'm going to remind myself that God has always, from Abram to Jesus, been calling us to go on a journey with Him. My last point is this. Since we are always on a journey, every single one of us will never live a day of our life where we are not called to take another step deeper into this relationship with Jesus. How old are you? How young are you? Well, guess what? You haven't lived one day where the invitation hasn't been, take another step deeper. It's going to be a little bit of a long reading, but it's from Ezekiel 47. I think it's a beautiful illustration of this point of taking a deeper step. I'm going to just read it from here. Ezekiel 47, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple. He brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and water was trickling from the south side. Water is pouring from the temple. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. By the way, this language of water pouring from the temple, we'll see it in Revelation, talking about a river of life with the tree of life on either side of it pouring out from the temple. He, had, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits, and he led me through water that was knee deep. You see the imagery that's developing? He, led, he measured off another thousand, and he led me through water that was waist deep. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures uh, uh, will live where the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore. From Engedi to Englam, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every mouth... Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. There's a river of life that's flowing out of the temple. And the invitation to you is to constantly take a step deeper. Are you ankle deep right now or are you knee deep? Are you waist deep or is the river above your head? The river of life. Wherever you are, the invitation is to get deeper into that water into that river of life because from there comes the healing for all nations. As we sang about earlier, draw me deeper, Lord. Draw me deeper, Lord, in you. We can always step into the river of life and I implore you on behalf of Christ, whether you have arrived at a decision about Him or not, there is an invitation to a journey with Him. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know how long it's going to take you, but I do know in the end, it is the only life that leads to true life. 
If any of you would like to talk more about that, elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and sing.